Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Well, uh, a lot to go over today, so we're going to pray, jump right in, uh, and see uh, what God has for us. So join me as we pray. Lord, uh, we want to um, just continue with an attitude of worship right now uh, and express our uh, gratitude and our, uh, our love and appreciation to you. And we want to continue with an attitude of worship even as we uh, look into your word. We ask that you would speak to us and that you would uh, speak over us. You would continue your transformative work in us. Let your word be alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, as it talks about in Hebrews. And let that be uh, relevant uh, today. Let that be applicable today in our lives. And so we invite you, Spirit of God, to speak to us. Point us in the way that we should go. And my prayer is that all of us would say yes to that. And we want to continue even in an attitude of worship, even through our giving, uh, that we place you first in all areas of life, including our finances. And so we want to give joyfully. Uh, and give back to you for uh, the blessings that you have placed upon us. Uh, so we dedicate this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're new with us, we are on week number two of our series, simply called the Book of Colossians. Uh, well, we're studying one of my favorite books in the New Testament, Book of Colossians. We said last week that Colossians really isn't a book. It's really a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the church of Colossae. Now, when we say the church of Colossae, really it was written to the people who were in the church or who made up the church, because the church is not brick and mortar. The church is people. It's living. It's breathing. It's active. We are the church here in El Mirage. And so if uh, someone was writing a letter to us, they may address it to uh, reveal church, or more importantly, uh, the saints of El Mirage is how Paul addressed uh, his letter. We'll see it in Colossians, the first scripture. We'll put it on the screen. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's holy people in Colossae, other translations say to the saints of Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we covered verses 1 through 8 last week, we're going to start with verse 9, and we're going to look at what is one of the more expressive and really beautiful prayers found uh, in Scripture. And I told you last week, uh, when we go through books of the Bible, we take a little bit more time, it allows us to dig a little deeper allows us to have a greater understanding of God's Word. Hopefully, will allow you to have a greater appreciation for God's Word. But what that means is you're going to need to stay engaged. You're going to need to stay uh, active. Your minds are going to need to be alert because we're going to kind of dig a little bit deeper underneath the surface today. So we're going to look at Paul's uh, prayer for the Christians, the saints of Colossae. Verse 9, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, a quick review. How did Paul hear about the church of Colossae? Well, he didn't start the church. Typically, Paul would go into a particular area. He would live there. He would spread the gospel message. People would receive it, become followers of Christ, and a church would start. That's not how the church of Colossae started. Uh, Paul had never been there. Matter of fact, we got a map I want to show you. We looked at this last week, but you can kind of get an idea of where we're at on the world. Jerusalem's down there in the lower right. Italy, Rome's up there in the upper left. Colossae is uh, in the middle there, what is modern-day uh, Turkey. 
Uh, Colossae has since gone by the way of uh, ancient ruins. Uh, And you can see Ephesus, where Paul spent almost three years preaching the gospel. And from what we gather, uh, there's a guy named Epaphras who uh, heard the message presented in Ephesus, uh, received the message, and then took that message back to Colossae, started telling people about Christ. People began to receive the gospel message, and a church was formed. Somewhere around 61 AD, a couple years after the church was formed, uh, Epaphras went back to Rome to speak to Paul. Paul was then in prison. He was ending the the end of a two-year prison uh, term. He went back to Paul to talk to him about problems the young church was facing and what we have is Paul's letter to that young church trying to set them straight. They were drifting off of center. And so if you don't know how the Bible is put together, particularly uh, what is known as the epistles, it is really a letter written by Paul to the believers of Colossae. And what we have is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy preserved through history as those letters were gathered, read aloud to the church, and then transferred to another church. It was read, copied, transferred to another church. And so that's kind of what we have today is Paul's pastoral letter bringing encouragement and direction uh, to the church. Look at verse 7. He says, you learned it. Now, yet he's talking about the gospel message from Epaphras. Again, Epaphras heard the message. He went back and uh, started telling uh, the people in his hometown about this message, and they received it. We said last week that the gospel simply means good news. And so when we talk about the good news, what is the good news? The good news is that 2,000 years ago, God solved our greatest problem. The Bible says that because of sin, we are born separated from God. Now, sin is an archery term, simply meaning to miss the mark. And whether you miss the mark of God's perfection, as God defines it, whether you miss the mark by an inch or whether you miss the entire target, you have sinned, you miss the mark. If you don't think you have a sin problem, Ask a family member. They'll be glad to tell you that, yes, we all have a sin problem. And so Jesus solved that sin problem. The cross is a picture of Jesus taking our sins that separate us from God upon himself. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. We'll put that scripture on the screen. What Paul says is that God made him, referring to Jesus, who had no sin or knew no sin, to be sin for us. And so that's the, the, the good news that 2,000 years ago, God sent himself to become our sin, that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for that sin. And so uh, back to Colossians 1.7, he says, you learned it, the gospel message from Epaphras. Now we said last week, the gospel message requires a messenger that, uh, think about this, that you are here today because someone was a messenger of the gospel. Someone was a messenger of the good news. Whether it be going all the way back to the first century where the good news, the gospel, jumped borders and skipped over oceans uh, all the way through to the present day, the gospel continues to move on the lips of those who are messengers of the gospel. You now are that messenger. So ask yourself, what kind of messenger am I? The gospel always moves forward. Throughout all of history, the good news always moves forward on the lips of those who claim to know Jesus. You are now a storyteller of the cross. The gospel message rests upon you. And so I know a lot of times we think, well, I I don't really uh, 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 do that. I'm not really a messenger because, 
well, my faith is, is, is private. Listen, your faith, if I could push back on that, your faith is personal, right? It's a personal relationship. But your faith was really never meant to be private. Our faith was always meant to be public because we are the messengers of the good news. Now, others would say, well, I don't, I don't really uh, like to uh, uh, get into that uh, too much because I don't want people to not like me. I've got a little news for you. People already don't like you. Right? People already don't like me. There's not everyone's going to like you. The people that will like you are probably the people we should have in life anyways, right? Some would say, well, I don't do that because I don't want people to make fun of me. I got news for you. People are already making fun of you and me, right? That's just what life is. And so if they're going to make fun of you, let's at least give them a good reason. Uh, John Wimber used to say that, I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you, right? We're all a fool for something. So this idea of, of, of listen, if someone's, someone's going to make fun of me for something, hey, make fun of me for the gospel. I can, I can live uh, with, with that. And so uh, what happens when the gospel is, uh, was presented to the people of Colossae? Well, it's the same thing that's happening in our present day. Look at uh, verse 6, if we got that. He says, the gospel of the good news is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Around the world today, 2018, the gospel is still bearing fruit. Do you know that the revival taking place in China right now, some say, is the greatest spiritual awakening that's ever occurred in the history of mankind? Think about that. We're living, we're also on the other side of the world, and we're like, "Eh, you know, it's just God. But in other parts of the world, they're saying it's one of the great spiritual awakenings ever. Right now, there are tens of millions of people who are coming to Christ because of a revival taking place through South America. There is revivals taking place in underground churches throughout the Middle East. And so the gospel message has always, always brought fruit because it's not me, it's not you. We present the message, but God is the one who brings life-changing power into that message. And so that gospel continues to be spread by you, by me, and it bears fruit wherever the message is sown, wherever the message rests. And so let's be a messenger of the gospel. Here's an easy thing you can do, is let's start to invite people to church. That's a simple step that we can take, right? Be, be, I had a pastor who said, be an inviter and an includer. I don't know if that you know, works in English grammar, but uh, this idea of, of invite people to church, and then when they get here, you make it your mission to include people in the church family. Here, 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 here's something for you. How you, right, treat people that come into this church will have a greater impact than the message that I deliver on Sunday. That's just the truth. So, I mean, the weight that we are the church together, how we respond, how we include people, changes people's lives. And so the gospel continues to bear fruit. Uh, Look what he says in verse 9. For this reason, since the day uh, we heard about you from Epaphras, uh, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you. Why fill you? Fill you because we're not yet full. Fill you because we leak, right? To fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Let's talk about this phrase, the knowledge of his will. Remember, we're going to unpack scripture in this series. So the knowledge of his will. So much talk about 
understanding God's will for life. I spent much of my early years as a Christian in fear that I was going to somehow mess up God's will, God's plan for me. Like, God, should I take this job or should I take that job? And what if I take that job when I should have took this job and now my entire life is screwed up because I miss God's plan for my life? I miss God's will for my life. I remember thinking, God, if, 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 who am I supposed to marry? At then I was thinking, there's one person among 7 billion people that I'm supposed to marry. Hey, if that's what you believe today, you got a one now 7.6 billion chance of getting it right. And what if some other Yahoo gets it wrong and makes the whole system go haywire? Right? I mean, there's a lot riding on that. And so, so much pressure of my younger age thinking, what is you know, the will of God, the will of God, the will of God? Hey, maybe I'll teach on this some point, but the will of God is not as narrow as you think. All right? The plan of God is pretty wide. We can talk about boundaries and stuff like that, that God gives us room to move and to dance, and he wants to bless it. And so uh, what, what, what Paul speaks about here is he's not asking for the knowledge of his will regarding decisions, this job, that job, should I move, should I not move. He's talking about something deeper than that. He's not referring to the job that, that, that one should take. So often we think about the will of God in terms of uh, geography. In other words, geography is, well, where does God want me? And so we'll ask questions. God, where do you want me? Should I take this job, that job, this house or that house? Should I move or should I stay? But look at this thought. God's will is less about where you are and more about who you are becoming. Right? So when Paul says that I want you to be full of the knowledge of his will, he's not talking about whether or not you should take a vacation in Jerusalem He was talking about, I want you to understand the will of God that you would become the people that God has created you to be. And we could close right there. That's worth the price of admission alone, right? Right? And so he's he's talking about this idea of will is less about geography, less about where you are, more about who you are becoming so that you would understand the people that that God wants you to be. Hey, when we're talking about the will of God, look what Paul says to the church of Thessalonica put that screen up, uh, that passage up. He said, it's God's will, right? Here's God's will, that you should be sanctified. So he's like, I want you to understand this is what God wants from his people and from his church, that you would be sanctified. Sanctify means that you are set apart for a special use, that God is making you holy, right? And so this is what Paul's talking about when his prayer, this, this eloquent prayer for the, the, the believers in Colossae, he says, my, my prayer for you is that, is that you would understand the knowledge of God's will. Look at Colossians uh, 1.9 again. I want to read it out of the New, New Living Translation. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. So let's look at Paul's prayer or path for spiritual growth. We'll be uh, coming back and forth onto the screen as we add it. First thing Paul says... I pray that you would have a knowledge of God's will for your life. That you would be sanctified to understand that God is setting you apart. Look at the second half of Colossians 1.9. And that I pray that he would give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. So first Paul says, I want you to have an understanding of God's will. And then I pray that he would give you spiritual wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to apply truth. Think of it this way. Wisdom 
is the ability to connect truth with a decision or a behavior. And so Paul says, look, I want you to grow. I want you to mature. I'm praying. Let's, let's say he was saying it to the saints of El Mirage, saints of, of the El Mirage surprise area, where he says, I pray that you would have a knowledge of God's will for you, that you are being set apart and made holy, that you would understand it. And I pray that God would give you wisdom in the decisions you need to make, that you can take wisdom and you can apply truth to uh, the circumstances of life. Then he continues. He says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Why? He says, here's why. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. As followers of Jesus, our focus is on him. Amen? The focus on me died when I gave my life to Jesus. Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Jesus lives in me. And so this idea that uh, life is, is no longer about me, that my life is to be a life that is pleasing first to him. Not first pleasing to me, that is first pleasing to him, that he is our focus. Now we talked about focus in a series a couple months ago. This idea of focus, whatever you focus on, you magnify. Uh, If you've ever, uh, when you were younger, uh, some of you are young enough still, but remember you had a a big zit on your face and you'd focus on it, and the more you'd focus on it, the bigger it got. Or at least you thought the bigger it got, right? Whatever you focus on, you magnify. And whatever you magnify, you focus on all the more, right? You got that zit and you're like, oh man, it's getting bigger, and because you think it's getting bigger, it's all you can focus on. And because it's all you can focus on, it's magnified all the more. And this cycle goes on. Well, that works in spiritual principles as well. When we focus on Jesus, we magnify Jesus. And whatever you magnify, you focus on all the more. And whatever you focus on all the more, you magnify all the more. And so Paul begins to unpack this idea that we should be living lives that are pleasing to Jesus. This focus leads to a knowledge of God's will that we're sanctified, uh, becoming more like Him. Look, look at that timeline as we'll continue there. Knowledge of God's will, sanctification, we're being set apart. I pray that you would have wisdom to apply truth in your life. And out of those two things, the result is that we would live a life pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit in every good deed. Think about that. Bearing fruit in every good deed. The, the, the word God uses to express what we should be producing is this word called fruit. Fruit is God's spiritual reference of what our lives should produce by having an experience with God. That's what Paul's saying. Look, if you have an experience with God, knowing his will, and he begins to sanctify you, and you begin to have a wisdom and an understanding that is not your own, then there should be something that is birthed out of you, and that word is fruit. A few thoughts on fruit, two thoughts. First, fruit is always visible, or fruit becomes visible. You may not see it at time, but over time, fruit becomes visible. If the fruit of your relationship with Jesus is not visible and remains not visible, there might be a problem with the relationship. Because Jesus makes it very clear, if we're connected to him, then fruit is, is, is what occurs. I heard someone say, if you're accused of being a Christian, is there enough evidence or enough fruit to convict you? 
Now think about that in, in, in your own personal life. Here's my second thought on fruit, is that fruit always bears the character of the tree that it is connected to. Right? You're never going to see an orange on an apple tree. You're never going to see an apple on a pear tree. And this, uh, this idea that the nature of the tree defines the fruit. And so the nature of the God that we serve defines the fruit that we should be bearing. Correct? The nature of the God we serve defines the fruit. In Galatians 5, Paul talks about what that fruit should look like. He says, look, here's the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's love. How are you doing in increasing in love? And joy and peace and patience and kindness. The God that we serve determines the fruit that we bear. And goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The topic of fruit was so important that Jesus devoted an entire teaching to it. In John 15, let's read it together. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain, other passages say, if you abide or connect in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Notice the progression that we all go through, right? We come to Christ, and there is no fruit. But the desire of God is that we would bear fruit, and not just fruit, but that we would bear much fruit, and not that we would just bear much fruit, but that we would have lasting fruit, fruit that would endure regardless of the season that we're in, fruit that would endure regardless of our circumstances. But it all starts with the connection, a focus, an intimacy to the source. And so at times we have to ask ourselves, is my life fruitful? How am I doing with the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How am I doing with those things? Now, oftentimes what we like to do when we hear a teaching like this or we read it, we're like, um, we go into behavior modification mode. And so we say, I'm going to force myself to have the fruits of the Spirit. And I'm going to force myself to love and to be peaceful and patient and kind and and, and self-control. I'm going to force myself to do it by my own resolve and by my own will. I'm going to be a fruitful Christian. I made the decision. I mean, how many times have we made that decision? I've made that decision thousands of times. We're not talking about behavior modification. The only way that we would live a life pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, is if the Holy Spirit has access to us to begin that work of sanctification, right? That's being connected to the vine. It's not something that we can produce on our own. It's something that occurs over a lifetime. Look at Philippians 1.6. Paul says this to the, the Philippians. He says, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So a few things there that make me ask, Who started the good work in you? You didn't start the good work, right? God started the good work in you. And whose responsibility is it to carry on that work? It's not your responsibility. Our responsibility is to stay connected to the vine, to stay connected to Jesus. His responsibility is to do the rest that only he can do, bearing fruit. So we're not just talking about behavior modification. I think often we want a microwave experience with God, and God's looking for a crockpot experience. It happens over a lifetime, right? Pet peeve of mine 
uh, is, is I don't really like doing dishes, but I especially hate doing dishes when the dishes were left out and the food has now cemented itself to the plate. And the force and the exertion required to get that off, it's not worth I would rather buy a new plate. I'm serious. Than clean that plate. So I don't really, I'm not good at dishes, but what I'm really good at, you can ask my wife this, I'm good at soaking things. So if there's stuff on the stove that's hard, I'll just take a sponge, put some water on it, and just let it simmer right on it, right? Plate, I'll just fill the sink, I'll just let it simmer for a, a little while. Just let it, let it soak. If I have to choose between scrub or soak, I'm choosing soak. Let it sit. Now we're building a metaphor here, so follow along. Let it, let it sit in the water. Let it abide in the water. Let it, let it just kind of stay connected to the water and the hot soap and the suds. Let it sit there for a while. And if it soaks long enough, what you were trying to remove by force, behavior modification, eventually it just kind of drifts away. And I think oftentimes we try to force our spirituality when Jesus is saying, hey, you just need to soak a while. You just need to put yourself in the water, abide in the vine. You just need to stay connected. And all those things that you keep saying, I'm going to make myself stop. If you would just soak it, you're going to find that, that it just begins to dissolve on its own. Because it's not you, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Some of you, that's it for you, man. Soak it for <laughs> Soak yourself. Stay connected to the vine. And those things will begin to happen. All right, we're off topic. Let's keep moving. Colossians 1.10. He says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. And then he says again, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, he talked about growing in the, the knowledge of God's will, but now Paul talks about growing uh, in the knowledge of God. It's not just facts and figures. Here, when we talk about the knowledge of God, it is uh, three thoughts. It is facts, right? It's about the head. Go ahead and go to the next slide if you would. It's, it's head, it's the facts about God, it's an understanding of the character of God, of who God is and what God's like, but then it's also a heart issue. It's a personal understanding of the facts. I can understand that God is everywhere, but has it transferred into my heart when life is dark and circumstances are difficult? Do I still understand that God is with me? And then growing in the knowledge of God, finally, is an experience with God. It's one of the hills we die on, that God wants to be experienced by the people who call him God. And so when Paul says, I pray that you would grow in the knowledge of God, he's talking about the facts and figures of God. Yeah, I have an understanding of your faith. But that it would transfer to the inner being of who you are. And that would also uh, bring about an experience that you would have uh, with God. When Paul speaks about, I want to know Christ in Philippians 3, he's talking about a personal firsthand encounter with God, not just a head knowledge. All right, we need to keep moving here. We're running out of time. Colossians uh, 1, I'm going to read the whole passage so we can kind of reset. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might let's look at paul's prayer on that timeline he says here 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 we are all right this this is what it looks like that 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 you would uh, understand god's will he would give you wisdom to apply to life there would be fruit you would grow in the knowledge of god and that you would have the strength you need when you need it that you would be strengthened by the spirit of god isaiah 40 is one of my favorite passages he gives strength to the weary 
And to him who lacks might, he increases power, right? Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait upon the Lord, they will gain new strength. Anyone need new strength? Right? They will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles, and they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And Paul's building on this prayer that you would have the strength you need when you need it. Look at Colossians 1.11. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? So that you may have great endurance and patience. Paul continues his prayer. That none of us would fall away from the faith because life gets difficult. Right? That none of us would fall away because there are more questions than answers. But instead, we would have great endurance and that we would have great patience and that we would endure regardless of what circumstances are showing us. That we would have endurance to hold up under pressure. And then he finishes this by saying, and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Love how he closes this prayer. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Paul says, look, I'm praying for you and I'm praying you have a knowledge of God's will that he is sanctifying you and setting you apart. And I'm praying that he would give you wisdom to apply towards your daily decisions that you need to make, that you may be fruitful in your life, bearing fruit in every good deed, that you would grow in the knowledge of God, head knowledge, heart knowledge, and experiential knowledge of God that you would be strengthened with power, that you would have the strength you need when you need it, that you would be able to endure under pressure, and that you would ultimately recognize this, that you have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Hey, listen, if you're a follower of Christ, I don't know how you can leave today without feeling a little lighter. That we have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Look, 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 Look what he says. Giving joyful thanks who has qualified you. You didn't do anything to deserve it. I didn't do anything to deserve it. Qualified you to share in the inheritance of God's holy people in the kingdom of light, who has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of his son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Church, here's my prayer for you. My prayer is that you would grow in the knowledge of God. Grow in the knowledge of God's will for you. And that his will for you is that you would be sanctified and set apart. My prayer for you is that you would have wisdom and understanding. In whatever circumstances you are in right now, whatever you are struggling with right now, that you had wisdom and understanding to imply truth to a decision. And that in return, that your life would bear fruit and you would be pleasing to God in every area of life. I pray that you would increase in the knowledge of God. You would have a greater understanding of who God is, but you would, it, you, you would know within your being who God is and that you would experience the presence of God for yourself. I pray that he would strengthen you with whatever strength you need today at this moment, whatever you're going through, that you would be strengthened, that you may endure to the end, knowing a supernatural level of joy that exceeds your circumstances because you have been made an inheritance. You have been given an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Paul says, look, that's my prayer for the people of Colossae. And in turn, that's his prayer for us. The Bible's pretty cool, if you ask me. I love Scripture. Stand with me. Let's pray.
All right. Uh, I know we throw a lot of information out in series like this. Listen, I encourage you just to go through and read the letter of Colossians on your own this week, next week. There's so much meat packed into Scripture, and I love uh, unpacking it for us. I hope you walk away from here with a greater appreciation for God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, want to um, just start by thanking you for the power of this uh, book and the wisdom that it contains and the power it contains and really just uh, the story that it tells of you interacting with the people that you love. And so we want to embrace it and we want to understand it. I pray that it would become even more alive to each one of us in this room. And I pray Paul's prayer for our church today. I pray it for myself. Let's increase in the knowledge of your will. Give us wisdom and understanding that we might be fruitful in all of our lives. Pray that we would increase in the knowledge of God and our intellect and in our heart and in our experience. Pray that you would give us the strength that we need, that we would endure to the end. And let us understand the inheritance that you have given us. And let it begin to change our perspective. And so we invite you. Be with us this week. Continue to transform. Continue to teach. Continue to change. I pray for many of us that we would just take that word to soak it. And we would just rest and soak ourselves in you. We would abide in you. We would remain connected to you. That you would do what only you can do. Lord, I want to just end that you would be uh, near to all uh, family members who have uh, lost loved ones, who have given the greatest sacrifice and who have uh, served our country for our freedom. And uh, Lord, I know there are those in our church who have lost loved ones, and I pray you would give a measure of comfort to them and to families uh, around our nation. You would uh, rally people around them that could love them during this time and can show the love of God to them. So uh, be with us this week as we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, church, well done. Hey, invite someone back next week. We're going to dig into some more history next week. I hope you like that stuff, but I think you may find it very interesting. Look forward to seeing you next week. If you like prayer, come on up. We'll love to have somebody pray for you. God bless. Hello.